Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, we wrap up our fall partnership series, where Pastor Tim walks us through what it means to go all in on the one another's. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Tim. haven't met you yet. My name is Tim, and uh, I'm glad you're with us. Bye, kids. (laughs) I'm glad you're with us on a holiday week. Uh, It's a a big week. Who's hosting Thanksgiving? You got hosts? Yeah. Yeah, that's stressful. Uh, Anybody get their Christmas tree lights up yesterday or this week at some point? Yeah, we had the, apparently the weather's, my wife reminds me the weather is going to change, and so I should do it soon. I've done it. So it's also uh, this is like opening week of hunting season. I'm not. I don't hunt much. But um, any anybody get one yet? Am I shaming everyone who didn't by asking that question? No one's got one yet. They're all out in a tree stand somewhere. You got one, all right? Uh, yeah. The, uh, I'm wearing my hunting uh, solidarity uniform today. This is uh, part of the the Eras tour. This is from 2014. Um, <laughs> what I wore then. Uh, there's my water. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 13 uh, this morning. So if you have a Bible, I would love for you to turn with me there. John chapter 13. Uh, John is one of Jesus' closest friends. He's a disciple. When he's older in life, he sits down to write one of four biographies we have on the life of Jesus. Uh, we refer to those biographies as gospels. And uh, John records these moments that he interacted with uh, his Savior, Jesus. And, um, and this moment in particular is a really big moment. Now, I say that because we're going to look at John 13 in like 20 minutes, okay? So bear with me. Uh, this, is a, this is one of those really simple messages. It's like really simple to, for me to say. It's really simple to comprehend. And it's also um, really difficult to live out. Uh, this, is a, this one, I think, uh, as we've been working through our partnership commitments and what does it mean to be the church um, and, and what does it mean for us at South Harbor? How do we see kind of our committing to each other moving forward? Uh, I thought this is probably the right spot to end with just a really simple reminder of why we do what we do. Um, I won't belabor this point because we've made this point a lot, but uh, we right now need the church to be the church. Right now, our world needs us to do this. Uh, so not only do we individually need, uh, many of us, like we go through loneliness and anxiety and all the stresses of life, uh, failed relationships and um, broken hearts and all those things. So we we need the church for each other, like we need the church to be the church, but our world, those who will never step foot door, their feet in the doors of a church, they need us to be the church. Again, I won't belabor this point, but uh, um, our world is pulling itself apart at the seams, and if you are like me and watch the news, um, uh, the war in Ukraine is still going on, and then the war in Israel, that one's really close to my heart because I have friends there, and I, um, and so that one's a little more close to me personally, but uh, it's, just a, it's just really painful stuff. And then politically in our own, in our own turf here in the U.S., uh, we've got our own political divisions. And the, you can already feel that like calm before the storm of an election season. And, and it's not always been like this. Uh, I was reflecting back on my first election I could vote in was 2000. Do you remember the 2000 election? It was two candidates that were really far from each other uh, in terms of their politics. Uh, uh, that was the Bush versus Gore 
election, if you remember. And uh, it was a really tight race. Um, it was the tightest race, arguably, the tightest race we've ever had. Uh, it, was so, it was so close that uh, we, do you, remember, do you remember the phrase dimpled chads? Yeah, yeah. Some of you who are younger, uh, dimpled chad means probably something different to you. It's like the guy selling you stuff on TikTok. But, but for us who were there in 2000, a dimpled chad, literally it was so close that uh, they in Florida were looking at ballots. Um, it was like a hole punch ballot. And they were trying to figure out if, uh, if the ballot was dimpled and they couldn't press it down hard enough and that, if that counted as a vote or not. I mean, we were really close. And then the election happened and the results were revealed and people didn't like them and some people loved them and, and um, people had their uh, positions and they got their president and some people didn't. And then we all just moved on. Remember those days? We all just kind of like, okay, that happened. We like it or we don't like it. But we all just kind of like, we stopped like hating our neighbors and saying, you're the problem. Like we just kind of moved on. That's not how we function anymore. Uh, we live in this different world and the world needs Christians because we know how to do this work. We have been given the blueprint by Jesus himself for how do we deal with our differences? How do, we, how do we link arms with people who may see the world a little differently than we do? And how do we actually uh, stand on a foundation strong enough to carry the weight of the problems of our world? So we've been looking at that. Uh, we spent six weeks walking through our four partnership commitments. Uh, they are on uh, this orange card in the seat back in front of you if you want to review. We walked one by one through each of those four commitments. And, uh, and now we're gonna, we're gonna wrap up and I just wanna think together, let's kind of sum it all up if I can on um, where do we go from here? Like what kind of church are we going to be? If you're brand new with us, you picked a good week uh, to be with us. A little different message. Uh, normally we'd like to go really deep and think really hard and look at all kinds of tough stuff together uh, that have to do with some issues in our day. This is a really, really, really simple message. I always want to talk about why all of this matters to us and, um, and where do we go from here. Now, um, to get there, let me ask a question that at first glance seems really simple. This is the question. Uh, the question is, what is a Christian? Seems like a simple question, right? Like it's, uh, At first glance, we should be able to answer this question. We should all have the same answer to this question. This is a big deal um, for many of us, myself included. We would say that our Christian identity is the most important identity we have. So I am a, I am a husband, I'm a, a dad, I'm a friend, I'm a neighbor, I'm a son. Like I've got a lot of identities, but core to who I am, uh, more so than even me as a dad or a husband, is I'm a Christian. It affects, that's the one identity that affects every other identity that I have. I'm, a, I'm not just a dad, I'm a Christian dad. I'm not just a husband, I'm a Christian husband. Um, but at the same time, uh, what is a Christian? Like when we think about that, what, like, what is a Christian? I remember the first time I actually was posed this question. Like what is, a, what is a Christian? We use this word a lot. What is a Christian? It was embarrassingly late in life when the first time I actually thought about what is a Christian. I grew up in a Christian church, grew up in a Christian home, was passed down these stories. I accepted them as true at some point, um, uh, or at least true enough that I could be like, I can place my faith in that. Like I uh, I became a Christian, um, but I never really thought about what is a Christian until, uh, again, embarrass embarrassingly late, until I was a pastor. I know. Um, it was a, a sermon from a, a gentleman named Andy Stanley. Do you know Andy Stanley? Uh, I love this man. I, I highly respect him. He's got a great way of saying things. And he posed a handful of questions and had a handful of insights that I had never thought of before. 
I, I never even pondered this, even though I grew up in this. And so a lot of what uh, this morning is I just want to pass along some things that he sparked in me, uh, I don't know, it's like 15 years ago or so, um, and just kind of share some things that he taught me and uh, I've been since reflecting on a lot and, and through different seasons of life, a lot, a lot. Um, what is a Christian? Again, simple question. It should be one that we all have a really clear answer for. And yet, I would guess that if we were to pair each if I was to say, okay, let's like pair up in groups of 10, and I want you to go around your group and, and ask the question, what is a Christian? Define it. You would struggle to come up with one agreed upon definition. In fact, you might discover as you huddled up, you've got five totally different definitions for what is a Christian, or maybe eight in a group of 10, totally different definitions for what is a Christian. It's a, it's a tough exercise. What is a Christian? Uh, if somebody were to walk up to you on the street, they wouldn't do this, but if they were to do this and say, are you a Christian? Uh, some of you, if, if they were to say that to you, you would say, absolutely, yes, I'm a Christian. Others of you would say, no, I'm not a Christian. Some of you would say, actually probably a lot of us would say, yes, but... <laughs> Like, right, we would say, like, what do you mean by this? Like, what, like, what are you getting? Like, what do you, when you say Christian, what do you, what do you hear? Because I want to make sure I'm not, like, yes, but, or you might say, like, yes, but I'm not like those Christians. You got, you got those Christians, right? Like, I'm not like them. I'm like this, those Christians. Uh, so what is a Christian? Simple question, really tricky to, tricky to answer. Uh, in fact, you could add layers to that question that make it even more complicated, right? Like, how does, here's a question, how does someone become a Christian? Is it, some people will say the answer to that is, well, there's like a prayer you pray. You pray a prayer and then you become a Christian. Others might say, yeah, there's like a moment where you invite Jesus into your heart or into your life. Other, others would say that, no, it's, it's the moment where you get baptized. Then there's a debate on, is it, okay, is it immersion baptism? Is it when you're an adult and you get immersed or is it when you're a child and is it sprinkling? Um, okay, but it, baptism is the moment. Others would say, no, no, no. It's about affirming certain creeds. Like to be a Christian is like, you, I believe in the Father. Like if you affirm the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. Others would say, no, there's, a, there's like a process. There's like a course you have to go through. The professional faith course in our tradition, um, confirmation in the Catholic tradition, like you go through a course and after the end of the course, you say, okay, now I'm a Christian. I did the course. So which is it? What is a Christian? How does somebody become a Christian? Some would even say that like, okay, I, I, I was a Christian. You probably have somebody in your life that is a was, right? Like they, they would say, I, I grew up in the Christian church, grew up Christian, but I'm not a Christian anymore. So I was a Christian to which others and the Reformed tradition especially might say, yeah, you can't do that, <laughs> right? Once a Christian, always a Christian. You're always a Christian. You can't, to which the other camp would say, no, 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 there's a list of things that if you do those things, you can become a was. Uh, some of us grew up in kind of a, a home in which we were made to believe, whether it was taught or we just kind of caught it, that there were certain sins, certain things that if you did those things, you can become a was, uh, some of you had a moment in which you and your boyfriend, girlfriend at like 16 years old, things got a little hot and heavy, and then you were driving home that night thinking, oh no, if I get in a car accident, you drove a little careful, because if, if I get in a car accident now, St. Peter's gonna cross me off his list, and I'll have like a, a red goat with a pitchfork poking me for eternity. 
So like you drove a little careful because you thought that what had just happened, that, that was one of the things that would put you on the was list. Like I'm, I, I'm no longer a Christian. Some of you had a moment where you prayed the prayer and then you weren't quite sure that the prayer stuck. And so you prayed the prayer again in another moment. Like, okay, fourth grade, Camp Geneva, I prayed the prayer, but I was in fourth grade, so I better do it again in sixth grade. And again, that was my experience as a kid. Like, I just remember, like, did the prayer, did it work? Did I say it right? And like, I, like, I want to be in, but like, I don't want to, how does one become a Christian? What is a Christian? Can you stop being a Christian? A little bit complicated, right? Um, it should be really easy to, to, to answer these questions, but it's a little more complicated, right? And then, here's another layer to it all. Some of you, uh, you, were, you were taught, you were raised, that uh, what makes a Christian has to do with the church that you kind of grow up in, the, the faith tradition. There's lots of denominations, lots of different churches. Uh, so what's the right church? What's the true church? Some of you have met people that will say, yeah, it's good that you're doing the way you're doing, but like we are part of the right church or the true church or the first church or the best church, whatever language. Um, like our tradition is the right tradition. You know those people, right? I, a couple weeks ago was at, um, I, I have a friend who just uh, was ordained and he was preaching his first sermon, uh, one of his first sermons. And so I got to go and support him and he was telling the story that kind of made me, made me chuckle. He said, uh, he said, okay, imagine like you die and you go up to heaven and you're, you, you are now standing before the great throne of God and you, you're getting like a tour around heaven from St. Peter himself and Peter's walking you around and you see all these different denominations. This is really beautiful. You see all these denominations, each denomination lined up between behind their like great hero of their, of their denomination. So you got Lutherans and they're all gathered and behind like leading the charge is Martin Luther. And like that, they're up in heaven. And then you got Catholics and they're all lined up behind the Pope and they're all up in heaven. And then you have Wesleyans and they're all lined up behind John Wesley and they're all up there. And you've got Baptist folks who are lined up behind, um, I don't know, Martin Luther King Jr. or somebody and they're all up there. Christian reform people, and they're all lined up behind John Calvin. And then he said, he goes, and then, uh, then there's the RCA folks, our tradition, and we're all lined up behind our great leader, Jesus. <laughs> I know, I laugh too. I laugh too. Uh, what is a Christian? Is it, is it uh, how does someone become a Christian? Can you stop being a Christian? Which Christian church is the right Christian church? By the way, there's another side to that joke that is, I won't say from the stage. It's kind of fun though. Um, which Christian church is the right church? Uh, is it, some will say that uh, to be a Christian is all about what you believe. Others will say, well, no, it's not what you believe. It's how you behave. It's certain actions. You got to do Christian things. You can't just believe Christian things. And those two camps kind of go back and forth. And which is it? Is it about your beliefs or is it about how you behave? What is a Christian? It would seem like that really simple question would have a really simple answer. We use the word Christian all the time. And yet it's really complicated. Okay, now, I have good news and I have bad news. Good news first. Uh, the good news, if you're scratching your head thinking, I don't know that I have a clear answer for some of the questions you raised. The good news is that's not because you weren't reading your Bible close enough or you didn't, go to, you didn't, you didn't attend the membership class and hear the thing. Or, like, it's not because you did it wrong or weren't paying attention. Uh, if you don't have a clear answer, the good news is that's okay. Like, because, bad news, Bible doesn't give us a clear answer. 
That's the bad news. Uh, the bad news is the Bible really never tells us what a Christian is. I know you're saying, how, how can that be? Shocking. How, like, you can't say this. Hang with me. Did you know that the word Christian only appears in our Bible, take a guess at how many times? Zero? It's more than zero? More than once? More than twice. Three times. Three times. The word Christian shows up in our Bible three times and it's never defined. It's never defined. Now again, you say, how could that be? How can it only be? The word Christian, when it first emerges in our Bible, when it's used in our Bible, is actually an insult. People called believers of Jesus Christians. It was like an outside group looking in saying, oh, you guys are, like, you just follow Jesus. You, like, you're like mini Jesus Christ. You're like Christians. Like you're Christians. You're like mini Jesus Christ. It was a derogatory term, an insult by a group of outsiders who are peering in and looking in and saying, oh, they all kind of do the same thing. They kind of look the same way. We're going to call them Christians. Uh, we still do this with groups that we don't understand, right? Like it, we, um, we will look at a group and kind of typecast that group and say, um, I'll give some non-offensive examples, well, a little semi-offensive examples. Like we would look at a group and say, well, they're like a bunch of hippies or a bunch of rednecks or a bunch of snowflakes or whatever. Like there's, and then there's some really bad ones, right? Like, but like we look at a group and we kind of give them a brand if we don't understand that group. Uh, they did that to the Christians. They said they looked from the outside, they looked in and they said, they get together every week, they have this meal and they say things like, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood, they're drinking blood and they're eating flesh. Ooh, those Christians. It's an insult. Uh, it only shows up three times in our Bible. The very first time it shows up is in the book of Acts. Uh, just to set the scene a bit, book of Acts tells us that uh, the, the movement of Jesus followers will leave Jerusalem or Judea, um, so Jewish headquarters, and it will head off into the world. It'll eventually get to a city called Antioch, which is not Jewish. And all of a sudden, this message of Jesus starts to, like people want in. They hear the message. They say, we want in. And so now all of a sudden you have non-Jews who are believing in this message and people looking in from the outside saying, what's going on? Who are all these Christians? These little mini Jesus Christs. Who are these people? Uh, let me read you the passage. It's in Acts chapter 11. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, so Saul will later become Paul. Um, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So outsiders looking in saying, oh, you're Christians. Uh, just to make the point a little more clearly, um, there's further evidence that comes from a, a historian. So not in our Bible, but a historian, a Roman historian named Tacitus. Uh, Tacitus was 20 or 30 years or so after Jesus. He sits down to write a record of the Roman Empire at the time. Uh, if you know this particular story, it's from Tacitus. Do you know the story of how the emperor Nero burned the city of Rome down, wanted to, wanted to change up the city, so he lit a fire, burned it down. Uh, the stories are he sang or whistled or played a flute while the city of Rome burned uh, and didn't realize it was going to cause a PR nightmare. Like People all of a sudden were pretty angry at him for doing this because it was their jobs, it was their businesses, it was their homes that were destroyed in the fire. And so he went looking for a group to blame. And he saw this little group of Christians on the other side of the river. And he said, ah, it was them. And, uh, and 
Christians were persecuted at that point. Do you know that story? Have you heard that story? Some version of that story? The reason we know that story is from Tacitus. Tacitus is the guy that writes that story down. Now, notice what he says about Christians. One of the first historians to use this word outside of the Bible. Uh, Notice what he says about Christians. He says, consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt, so Emperor Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations. Again, what are the abominations? Most likely it's they eat flesh and they drink blood. They just didn't understand communion. They did not understand what we were doing. Called Christians by the populace. By the populace. Yeah, so so. The reason Christian is really hard for us to define when we say, what is a Christian? Is it's really not clearly defined in our Bible. It shows up three times. It's always an, in, an insult or at least a, a group heading from people on the outside who don't quite understand us. Uh, so the first time it shows up is the book of Acts. Uh, disciples were called Christians at Antioch. The second time it comes up is Peter. Um, so Jesus' disciple Peter. Peter is being persecuted for being a Christian. That's what the Bible says um, he's being persecuted for being a Christian. Again, somebody on the outside. Third time it comes up is uh, Saul is standing trial and the governor who's overseeing the trial, at one point Saul's giving his testimony and he says, uh, the, the governor says, wait a minute, you're not trying to make me a Christian, are you? It's, 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 every time it's an outsider looking in saying you're a Christian, but it's not how the first believers defined or described themselves. Do you know how they described themselves? It's something far more provocative, something far more dangerous. The word they use to describe themselves, and the reason it's dangerous, the reason it's provocative, is because it's so clear. It's so well-defined. In fact, the Bible makes it explicitly clear, exactly. You ask this question, and there was a really clear, what is it? Like They, they knew exactly what that was. This word shows up 261 times, 200, so three times the word Christian shows up, 261 times in just the Gospels, the four Gospels, and the book of Acts, just those, just those, 261 times this word is used. Any guesses as to the word? The way is one of the terms, but disciple, disciple, the word disciple, uh, again and again and again. When you see the first followers refer to themselves, they refer to themselves as disciples. Now, what's interesting to me is uh, it's really clearly defined what a disciple is. It's really easy to hide behind the term Christian. Um, you can justify a lot of actions, but, you know, like I believe this thing or I said this prayer, whatever, whatever your mechanism in is, you can then just live your life completely the exact same as a Christian. But disciple is a little more clear. Uh, the disciple, the word disciple actually means student, um, but it wasn't just, in our culture, student often is, I want to know what my teacher knows. Uh, in the ancient culture, both true for the Romans and for the Jews, the student wanted to become like their teacher. It's actually in our Bible that it's enough to become like our rabbi, right? So uh, a student wanted, a disciple wanted to become exactly who their teacher was. So when the disciples emerge, they say, we want to be just like Jesus. We want to be like him. We want to do what he did. We want to say what he would say in our situation. Uh, A disciple is someone who says things like, I'm trying to make a decision. I don't know what to do. What would you do? Okay, I'll do that. 
I have a conflict. I can't figure out how to resolve this conflict. This thing in my life right now, like we're, we're stuck. How would you resolve that conflict? Okay, that's what I'll do. I'll do what you would do. Uh, I'm trying to lead a business and I don't know exactly how to like make the decision around finances in this moment. What would you do? Okay, that's what I'll do. I'll do that. I'll disciple someone who says, this is my life. I'm trying to live my life. Uh, I have a question. I got lots of questions, but just know the answer to all of them is yes. Whatever you tell me to do, I'm in. I'll do it because I want to be just like you. That's what it means to be a disciple. And it, this word is used throughout the New Testament to talk about who you and I are. Again and again and again. Christian, three times, always outside groups looking in. The word disciple shows up 261 times in just the Gospels and Acts. A couple examples. Um, uh, the first one we, we looked at was the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. That first time the word Christians used, it's actually the disciples. That's what they refer to themselves as. Christians is what outsiders refer to them as. People looking in. Uh, another example out of Acts chapter 6. And again, I could give 261 examples. Let's give you a couple. Um, so the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. So as, as they were stepping into this thing, they called themselves disciples. Uh, a few chapters later, Acts 9, uh, Paul is going to have this conversion moment. He's going to meet Jesus. Uh, he's been persecuting Christians disciples. And now he's going to meet Jesus and his life is going to flip upside down and he's going to want to join them in, in telling the whole world about Jesus. And we read this. When he, Paul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. Now, when you read that, don't think like the 12 disciples of Jesus. They were referred to as the apostles at this point. This is just a group of Jesus followers. Uh, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him because right before this, he was killing them not believing that he was really a disciple. So they want, they're like, are you sure? Now they're not afraid that he's a Christian, right? Let's ask you what, they're, 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 if he's just a Christian, if he's just like, I, say, I said a thing, I believe a thing, but my life is the same. I do the same stuff. They could die, but a disciple never would because a disciple is somebody that wants to do what Jesus would do. Are we clear on this point? Yeah, it's really simple stuff. Um, one last example, just so that uh, I think there, there's sometimes we can forget that uh, there were women disciples, lots of women disciples. Uh, so Acts chapter nine, uh, 10 verses later says, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. I agree, I like Tabitha better. Um, she was always doing good and helping the poor. A disciple named Tabitha. A uh, disciple is what they refer to themselves as, and its definition is really, really clear. Now, let me pause here, and um, some of you are thinking, oh no, he's going to tell us to stop using the word Christian, and now we're going to all call ourselves disciples. I'm not asking you. That would be weird, okay? So this is the word we use in our culture. The word Christian's fine. It's a good word. In fact, some of you may leave. Um, please, please don't do this, actually. If, you're, if you think that what I'm saying is, let's stop using the word Christian, and then you start telling people, like you tell your friends, like, yeah, we're not using the word Christian. It's not in the Bible a lot. Like, we're not going to use that word. We're using a different word. Telephone game's going to happen, and then soon the news are going to come to me and say, I heard you told the church that you're no longer Christians. Okay, that's not what I'm saying, okay? Just, just for clarity, uh, it's really easy to hide behind the brand Christian because it's so uh, squishy. It's so hard to define, but the word disciple is so much clearer. All this raising a question. Are you a disciple? Are you a disciple? 
or are you just a Christian? Um, are you a disciple of somebody who wants to fully surrender everything you have to doing what Jesus would do if Jesus were you? with your gifts, limitations, liabilities, like doing everything you can, a living example of the perfect example. Are you uh, a Christian? Just I said a prayer, I went through a course, or are you wanting to be a disciple? Now I say this is to summarize our whole series because one of the things we're trying to call each other to is greater discipleship. Uh, there, just in case you're like, not convinced that this is really clear, I want to show you a passage out of John. Well, now I'll get to John. Um, I want to show you a passage out of John where it, I hope, you, well, you tell me if Jesus is absolutely clear on what the job description of a disciple is. What is a disciple? That Jesus is crystal clear on, so we hear what is a Christian and we can have all these other questions that arise. But Jesus makes it explicitly, explicitly clear what a disciple is and what our job is. Um, and this is a game changer. What Jesus is going to do here is an absolute game changer. In fact, I would dare wager that if we actually did what Jesus says we're supposed to do, we would not have had a civil war. Strong statement. I would wager that we would not, we may not have had a first world war. We definitely wouldn't have had a second world war if we were to just all, all Christians would have done what this disciple thing that Jesus says to do, um, this command. Uh, we would not have needed a civil rights movement because we would have gone there first, right? There would not have been a need for a civil rights movement because Christians would have seen the... We, okay, if we would have gotten this one right, if, if all of us, if we got this one right, and there's, we, can, we can course correct, but with our world and our nation would be fundamentally different. This is the passage. Uh, Jesus is gonna, let me set the scene. Um, Jesus is gonna give a... Uh, uh, he's going to share a meal with his disciples, a Passover Seder. It's going to be his last one. Um, Jesus is going to be killed, arrested that night, killed the next day. Uh, and he gathers his disciples up and he gives them a final instruction. Right? It's, like, it's almost like it's got this feel to it. It's actually, he's going to say, I got a new command for you. Uh, and so not 613 like the Old Testament, not 10 like the Ten Commandments. I got one command that's going to sum up everything. And I want to pull my disciples in close. If you catch nothing else, of my whole ministry, all my, all my miracles, all my teachings, all of it. If you caught nothing else, don't miss this one. Okay, so this would be like the, the one you love who pulls, you, pulls the kids to the bedside when they're, they're breathing their last breath. Whatever Jesus is going to say here really matters. He's going to be killed. And he knows it. He knows he's going to be arrested. John 13. My children, Jesus says, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, just as I told the Jews. So I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Now, pause here. You're a disciple. How do you hear that? We're going to go with you. You're our, like, we're your disciples. That's the job description of a disciple. Wherever you go, we go. Like, that's, whatever you do, we do. So when Jesus says, you can't come with me, if you're a disciple, you imagine Peter being like, well, hang on, time out. Like, no, we're going to go with you. We're going to go with you. We are your disciples. Jesus will clarify. And this next piece is the part that if you have your own Bible, underline it, circle it, highlight it. This is, this is absolutely critical. If you had to boil the Bible down to like a verse, this is the, maybe the verse you choose. Verse 34, a new command I give you. Now I imagine like John is like, okay, a new command. Here we go. Let's pull out the moleskin or the, the notes tab on my phone. This is a big deal. Jesus is going to give me a new commandment, like right now. He's going to give me a brand new one, not 613 from the Old Testament, not the Ten Commandments. I got a new one, a new command. 
I give you. That word new in the Greek means brand new, never heard before. Love one another. Imagine John being like, are you kidding me? That's all you talk about, Jesus. What do you mean new commandment? Love one another. You, you just said the entire Old Testament could be summed up by love God and love others. This is the same thing, right? Like, what do you mean a new command? This is the same command. The whole Old Testament's been about love. You said that. And you've talked about love again and again and again. What do you mean a new command? Here's the new piece. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. As I have loved you. Ups the ante, doesn't it? Here's the problem when you talk about love one another. Like even it happened after Jesus says, here's a summary of the commandments. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. People said, yeah, but who's my neighbor? Really don't like that guy. Do I have to love him? Yeah, I mean, but, but like, I don't know. Like love can feel squishy. It's one of those words where it's like, yeah, but love. Uh, Jesus, really clear, really clear. Love one another as I have loved you. Matthew, do you remember when we met? Remember, remember that moment you were tax collecting? Remember that thing? And then uh, like, you, like you were working for the enemy. And then, uh, and remember what I did? You invited me over to a house party. And so I went to your house party with all your tax collector friends. Simon, the zealot, remember that? You wanted to kill all those guys. Remember that moment? Like, remember that? When we left the party, remember what they called us? Drunks and gluttons, they said. And I loved you. Knowing your old life, I still, I still loved you. Nathaniel, do you remember when we met? Actually, I met your brother first. Uh, your brother came and he said, I want to follow you. And he went to go get you. Do you remember that moment? And do you remember what you said when you found out about me? Remember the words that came out of your mouth? You said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You dissed my entire hometown and family. First thing you did. Without even meeting me, you, you threw all of the people I love and care about the most under the bus. And I still loved you. Uh, or how about uh, James and John? Remember after this hardest moment in my life, one of the, I told you where this whole thing was gonna go and I said, hey guys, I'm gonna die. Just happened. I'm, I'm gonna die. They're gonna put me on a cross. It's gonna be really, really hard. James and John, do you remember what you did? Actually, no. Your mom did this. Like you called your mom and she came and said, which one of them is gonna be the greatest? Can my boy sit at your right hand and your left hand when you die? Do you remember that? Your mom. And I still loved you guys. I loved you. Remember when we were walking through Samaria? Remember what you said? After, after I told you again and again, I gave you all these examples of Samaritans because you hated the Samaritans, but I gave you example after example of Samaritans who were good people, right? Remember the, the leper who was a Samaritan, the woman at the well? I told a parable about a good Samaritan because you saw all Samaritans as bad, evil, wrong. I remember when we were walking through Samaria, after all of that, after all those examples, remember what you said? Should we call down fire on them? After all of it, and I still loved you guys. I still loved you after all the failure. Peter, do you remember when you had messed up so bad that I actually had to say, get behind me, Satan? I called you Satan, and I still loved you. I didn't rub it in your face. Do you remember when you all ran away? Actually, no, that one's coming in like four hours. You all ran away when I needed you the most. All your failures, all your mistakes, I still loved you. So as I have loved you, love one another. 
And then he says this, by this, by this one little thing, if you just do this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Is Jesus clear? Is he clear? What is a Christian? Really hard to define. What is a disciple? Jesus makes it really, really, really clear. Now, just to give you a sense of how hard it is to love these disciples that Jesus, like, notice what Peter does next. Um, this is after Jesus, this is his, like, I got one thing left. They're going to kill me in just a few hours. I got one. I give you my deathbed plea, like, just love one another. And then Peter shot, shoots up his hand and says, Lord, where are you going? <laughs> what? Yeah, you said you're going to leave. Did you miss everything after? Peter's, Peter's like, I'm a disciple. I'll follow you. You're going to die. I'll die. You get crucified. I get crucified. That's how it works. You die. I die. Peter, in a couple hours, you're going to be intimidated by a middle school girl, and you're going to deny me. You're not able to do this. So Peter, here's what I need you to do. Something way more difficult than dying on a cross, like a martyr's death. Like, Look around these, see these guys? I need you to love them. And when you disagree, and when you don't even like them, I need you to love them. I need you to forgive them. I need you to care for them. I need you guys to hang together. I'll die for you. I'll die on the cross. You find ways to love each other. And then what I need you to do is I need you to create a community and make this the center of your community. A love, know that I loved you. And as I have loved you, you love each other. And as the world looks in, they'll start to say things like, what is going on here? Look at them. Look how they pray for each other. Look how they forgive each other. Look how they argue. Look how they love each other. If you create a community like this, there's nothing that will stop it. By this, they'll know that you're my disciples. Ever notice how many times in our New Testament the phrase, as, as the church is writing each other, how often they'll use the phrase one another. Comes up 59 times. They'll say things like, we, sh- we are to be devoted to one another. We are to honor one another above ourselves. We're, we're to live in harmony with one another. We're gonna build each other up. We're gonna be like-minded toward one another. We're gonna accept one another. On and on and on and on and on. And 16 times at least, we're gonna love one another. We're gonna love one another. We're going to love one another. Jesus says to these guys, this, this is a new command. Not, I need you to do it as I did it. Remember uh, a couple weeks ago when we looked at circumcision? That whole like, hard debate, like the first huge like, theological crisis in the church. How did they get through circumcision? How did they get through that debate? They didn't agree, but they chose to love one another. If we do this, the world will look in You will not need to print tracks and hand them out at hotels or concerts. You will not need to get a bullhorn and stand on the street corner and tell everybody to repent or die. You won't need to do that. You will not need, if you do this one, you won't need the -the state-of-the-art technology. You won't need great preaching. Those are fine things, but you won't need that. If you do this, if you just do this, Jesus says, the world will look in and they'll say, wow, look at how they love one another. I look, look at, did you see, do you see how the, the men honor the women? We don't do that, do we? And the women respect the wives? We don't do that. We don't do that. 
Who are these people? Do you see how even the, the slaves and the, the slave masters, they, they're, they're calling each other brother and they're eating at the same table, the slaves and the slave masters. We don't do that. Do you see the kids? Do they laugh? Are you, do kids laugh at their dinner tables? They're even at the dinner table? Kids? Our kids don't do that. Our kids don't do that. Who are these? Do you see how they love one another? Do you see how they handle their issues? This is just, how do they do this? How, they, do you see how they, like, they actually sit down and they, they don't agree with each other? They don't even like each other sometimes, I don't think. But they love each other. Do you see how they handle their money? Hey, did you catch that the wealthy in the group make sure even the poorest in the group have enough? Like every week, do you notice that when they have a meal, the wealthy who get out of work first don't drink all the wine and eat all the best food? That's what we do. That's not what they do. They wait. Who are those people? And Jesus says, I want you to live in such a way that I want you to love each other and then build communities like this, that when the world looks in, they're gonna want no more. When the world looks in, they may say things like, you know, I, honestly, I don't know that I believe what they believe. Like a resurrection from the dead, a virgin birth, that's not how it works. Like, I don't know that we believe what they believe, but I sure do wanna hire one of them. I, would, I don't know that I want to be one of them, but I would love it if they handled my money. I, I don't know that I believe what they believe yet. I, I don't know if I believe what they believe, but I really hope my daughter dates one of them because the way their young men treat their, uh, the young women, we don't have that. I'm not, again, I'm not ready. I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to want to be one of them, but I would love an entire staff of them I would love to hire them. Do you see how when they mess up, like they, they, they make a mistake, how they're, they're not trying to hide it or cover it up. They come to you and they say, I made a mistake. What do I do with this? Look how they love. Look how they love. Can you imagine if we just did this one thing? How it would change everything. See why I want to end here? Um, can you imagine uh, if your family... Uh, for just the next six months, you said, you know, we got a lot of rules in our family. That's okay. Um, but for the next six months, we're going to put all those rules aside. And the only rule in our family is we're going to try to do this one. We're just going to try to love. We're going to ask the question, what does love require? And we're going to try to love each other in the way we would want to be loved. That's the only thing we're going to hold our family to in terms of the rules. That's our rule. Can you imagine if as a nation, we're in like the calm before the storm of a political season. And uh, if as a nation, we said, you know what, up until the, ne the next election, and, may and maybe through, um, but at least until the, next until the election happens, we are just gonna commit. Even the people we totally disagree with in terms of political persuasion, we're just gonna love them. Anyone we're around, we're gonna treat them like we would wanna be treated. We're gonna love them like we would wanna be loved. Can you imagine if the church, if we were to say, you know what, we're gonna go first. We're just going to take this one commandment of Jesus seriously. There are 613 Old Testament commands. Uh, there are a lot of, but we're just going to focus on just this one for six months. I think if we did that, honestly, I think we would see families changed. I think we'd see families restored. I think we'd see neighborhoods transformed. I think we would find our nation have a moral pulse we just did this. I think a lot of the debates that we see dividing Christians, the church, we wouldn't have those debates. Not if our first instinct was, how do we love this, this person right now in this moment? 
Now again, simple message. This is not like, wow, I never saw that. Like, you, this is simple um, and really hard to do. It does take commitment. It takes intention to do this. Uh, love is really hard. For those of you who are married, you know this. Um, for those of you who have kids, you know this. Uh, for those of you who have parents, you know this. This is, uh, it's really hard. Uh, one of the the reasons we, um, we end here as we've been talking through partnership is we've been unpacking kind of what's core to who we are. What do we think are the, for the baby in the bathwater? If we're gonna deal with the dirty bathwater, what's foundational? But we wanted to end here because if we're gonna do any of this stuff well, we're gonna have to get this one right. Uh, and so today's the last day. And uh, as we wrap uh, any of our um, partnership classes. We normally run it as a class, not as a worship service. But um, as we wrap those, we always offer the opportunity. If you would like to link arms with us, if you're saying, I want in, I want to do this, uh, we want to give you the opportunity to join us and to link arms with us. Some of you, you've been partners here for years. You've been part of this for years. I, I still will encourage you to, to fill it out. Uh, I, if you would be willing, it's helpful for us to have it all in one place. Um, and In fact, I, I filled mine out. I will drop it here. Um, and uh, for others of you, you're pretty new with us. You're not ready to do this. That's okay. Maybe you're, you're joining or visiting from another church. I would love for you to go back to your church and do this with your church community. Like be uh, embedded in your community. Commit to each other this way. Um, I had somebody reach out uh, to Harbor Churches this week and they said, hey, um, my spouse has got cancer and she's unable to attend services, but we're in. We want to be in. Can we do this? Um, so if uh, for those online, like, please know that absolutely, the answer is absolutely, absolutely. Um, uh, but we want to offer you the opportunity, um, and I'll just say thank you in advance, like, for those of you who are willing to do this. Uh, the, again, don't get stuck on the card. If the card is weird to you, just don't do the card. Um, but the card is helpful for us to know how to best care for you, but uh, we'll find that. We'll figure that out. Um, but what we'll do as we take communion this morning is you come forward. If you desire to, you can drop the card in one of these two baskets or there are baskets in the back and you can drop the card in the baskets in the back uh, and then we'll take it from there. We'll circle back to you in a couple weeks um, once we get them all. But, uh, but that's the way you can drop them off if you desire to. Uh, and then let me just say this. Um, I just want to say thank you uh, as we wrap a series on what does it mean to be South Harbor Church and to partner with us. Uh, I, from the bottom of my heart, just want to say thank you. Uh, this church, uh, I made the joke, this is a, like a 10-year-old shirt, because it is. Um, it's been, I've been here 11 years now, and uh, you all have been my family for a long time. And um, some of you longer than others, but uh, many of us go way back. And uh, this first service sitting right there, my family was, and my son's taking notes now, so I got to... I was looking at him as we were talking through some stuff a couple weeks ago, and it's like, uh, and just to know that my boy is bringing his adventure Bible to church and taking notes. I, I have three kids that every Sunday look forward to going to church, and I have lots of, I'm emotional. I have so many friends who that is not, they're pastors, and that is not their kids' experience. And I am beyond grateful that you all, those of you who serve in kids' ministry, and I'm just so grateful that you have built this kind of community. And uh, whatever the next season holds, I'm really grateful that we get to walk it together. People every once in a while will say, like, are you going anywhere? I don't plan to. Um, I love serving this church. Um, but from the bottom of my heart, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Uh, we're we're going to end with communion. Um, uh, communion feels like the right ending. Feels like the right ending. Uh, the 
Uh, we talk about three things during communion. Um, we say we come in re- uh, remembrance, communion, and hope. Uh, and so I don't know what it is for you this morning. Maybe it's to remember who Jesus is and who he's been for you. Maybe that's what you just need to hold. Like life has been hard. Maybe this is the first time you're saying yes to Jesus. This would be a great first step as you say yes to Jesus is to come to the communion table. Um, maybe for you, you've been severed from community and you feel lonely. And for you, it's like, okay, this is the first step into community with God and with others. And then I would say probably for, a, probably for most of us, uh, you need some hope. There's probably something in your life that's really hard right now. I think that is most likely true for all of us. And right now, you just need to be reminded that whatever it is, it does not win. Jesus conquered the grave. Uh, Jesus, Jesus dealt with the worst the enemy could throw at him, and he beat it. And whatever it is you're dealing with, he's big enough for it as well. Um, whatever it is you need from God, I, I believe God would long to give to you this morning. And so um, let, me, let me ask for that in a word of prayer. Would you join me? Uh, Lord, would you make your church one? Uh, Lord, would we model for our world a community that can do what our world has proven they don't know how to do? Uh, Lord, would you allow us, help us to love one another even when we disagree? Lord, help us to love one another even when we, um, we don't necessarily see eye to eye. Uh, Lord, would we do it all as an act of worship and surrender to you? And then, Lord, for anyone in this room who right now, their heart is breaking and they need you to fix it. They need you to bring healing. Uh, Lord, we, um, we bring that to you knowing that you are a good God who longs to give good things to your kids. Jesus, we pray all of this in your name. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, find us on the web at www.southharbor.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. On Sunday mornings, you can find our service streamed live at 9 a.m. on our Facebook page. And so once again, from all of us here at South Harbor and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.